it's when you blend that creativity and empathy together it drives 20% more effectiveness if you can actually get that happy marriage of creativity and empathy Hey there, James here and you're listening to the Own the Moment podcast, the show where we explore the complex and always evolving landscape of marketing, advertising and branding and try to get to the bottom of what it means to be a truly memorable brand. The Own the Moment podcast is brought to you by Como Technologies, a self-service complete customer engagement platform that helps you cut through the noise to truly connect with your customers and retain and grow those connections over time. With Como, you can build and deploy new campaigns, activations, promotions, and programs in days, not months. And our software is used by some of the world's biggest consumer brands from Heineken to Budget, Goodman Fielder, Foxtel, JLL, Williams Racing, and McDonald's. Learn more at Como.tech. Why is it that TV ads are so predictable these days? Pretty much every car ad still features a car speeding along a long and winding road, and if you see an ad featuring fluffy white animals, you can be sure it's an ad for toilet paper. This week, we're diving into the world of advertising cliches and category conventions. I had the pleasure of speaking with Samira Brophy, a Senior Director of Creative Excellence at Ipsos, a global research firm dedicated to understanding how advertisers can be more effective. Samira and her team have explored the cultivation of conformity in advertising, where campaigns often gravitate towards the safe and familiar. But they've also uncovered something quite remarkable, the power of empathy and creativity to transform these cliches into something familiar, yet refreshingly original. Samira says great advertising is just like great stand-up comedy. The funniest jokes are those where we sit back and think, that's so true, but I've never thought about it that way before. Familiar, but fresh. In our discussion, we delve into why advertisers continue to lean on these cliches, and more importantly, how breaking free from category conventions can infuse campaigns with a sense of creativity and empathy, resulting in advertising that truly resonates and delivers significant commercial uplift. I hope you enjoy the show. Uh, Samira Brophy, thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me, James. So I want to start with this idea of that our brains are pre-wired to favour the safe and familiar, which seems you know perfectly natural from an evolutionary perspective. Why do brands fall into the trap of playing into our safe and familiar desires? <laughs> yes, we are very risk-averse. Uh, we often make suboptimal choices. Uh, because they feel safe and familiar, we reference past experiences and we choose outcomes that may not necessarily be optimal. And we do this to manage risk and ultimately brands are run by people. And I think a lot of the language used around creativity and advertising is uh, kind of leans the opposite way. You know, you hear about risk and breaking things and subversions. <laughs> and I understand why, you know, people do it because you want to find a client that aligns to your worldview. But ultimately, I think broadly speaking, serving up a big platter of risk to a business that's basically looking for accountability does create a certain amount mm. of tension and may, may, may not be ironically the most effective way to land the awesome power of creative advertising to, you know, sell a brand product service or idea, which is effectively what it's meant to do, but also its astonishing mm. capacity 
to build goodwill and build a competitive edge. I mean, if you think about the example of Volkswagen, you know, 2015, they had this huge emission scandal. And if you look at the share price and how it drops off a cliff for 2015, it recovers fairly quickly. And I would argue that that recovery is from having 30 years of excellent advertising and goodwill in the bank. You know, I guess there's this idea in society that it's uh, how brands uh, act and what they do is, you know, more important than ever. But I guess that Volkswagen example with the emission scandal, which I don't, you know, almost forgot about it. Do you have a view on, you know, how real is is that idea today that consumers really sort of punish or reward brands based on on how they act? Um, well, that's a very nuanced point, right? Because at the end of the day, advertising is a very powerful force, so use it wisely. And the thing is, advertising does have the power to teach you that uh, maybe you should have the BGs staying alive in your head while you perform CPR. You know, it helps you spotlight choices as consumers. It uh, puts money into the economy. The Deloitte study says that for every one pound of ad spend, it puts six pounds back into the GDP of the UK economy, for example. So I think it's a nuanced picture. Hmm. There is a line and you do need checks and balances. And uh, checks and balances come in the form of a gold standard regulator, which I think either countries have or are moving towards, particularly around hmm. kind of sustainability standards and kind of inclusion and stereotyping. But uh, consumer pressure is important as well. So there are mechanisms in mm. place to kind of uh, mitigate effects. But yes, advertising mm. does certainly sense. help you get over your PR crisis, providing you've done the hard yards to kind of rectify what was wrong in the first place. But advertising will help you, or at least a good history of advertising will help you to deal with that more effectively. Right. And I guess, again, in that Volkswagen case, you know, as you said, 30 years of positive brand building and advertising was beneficial there. Going back to this idea of like the safe and familiar Samira. So, you know, you said there that, you know, we hear so much about creatives and advertising being about boldness and standing out. Is there value, though, in the safe and familiar? You've explained quite well, you know, why we seek familiarity, but there must be some benefit in advertisers playing into our, you know, our, our brains being pre-wired to favour familiarity. What's your view on on that balance of standing out versus playing into those? Yeah, and yeah, I think it, it, it depends on the flavor of the familiarity and w what it is that you're being familiar about. The thing is, okay, so let's let's start from the beginning a little bit, right? Because, you know, the studies show that companies do value creativity. They think it's really important to drive their business, but they have a really hard time getting it over the line because it, 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 it carries a risk. But what then happens is that they regress to kind of safe and tried and tested kind of category cliches. But what that does is that it kind of lends itself to making near identity kit ad advertising. So I think familiar is fine as long as, as long as it's familiarity to your brand or familiarity to something that people value in their lives. But I think familiarity in terms of looking like everything else in the category is a little more dangerous because you don't get the attribution as a brand that you should by having a fresh take on it. Taking mm -hmm. risks and, and being disruptive is not always about being loud. It's not always a loud process. You can do it quietly. It's more mm -hmm. about, you know, having a twist on the familiar and what you already know. You're right. Yeah, in my mind, when I think about that sort of bold, you know, outspoken, but you're right, it doesn't necessarily have to be that way. Um, Samira, you've talked about this like cultivation of conformity. Mm -hmm. 
you know, how does this all impact effectiveness? So walk me through conformity in, in advertising impacts of uh, effectiveness and, and why do we know that to be uh, the case? How, how do we know that is the case? So I guess one of the evidence points around conformity uh, and effectiveness that I will put forward is from the Ipsos database where we've seen that advertising that actually breaks or doesn't conform to the category cliches tends to get a 20% better chance of landing branded attention. And that is your concern of price of entry or cinema ticket, if you will, to kind of effectiveness. Because if you don't get encoded in people's minds, and if your brand isn't retained as part of that process, then you may be doing a job getting, you know, driving the category forward. And marketing theory generally says that brands can grow by driving category growth. So you will get some, but mm. you can get disproportionately more by doing a good job for your brand more specifically. So it's it's about the the marginal gains and the, the big gains actually that you can you can get by standing out from the pack. So, you know, this idea of, you know, being conformist within a category. Do you have any examples top of mind as to brands that have done that particularly well? Uh, which have sort of broken the category convention, I guess, so to speak. Are there any that uh, stand out in your mind that the audience might recognize and therefore start to understand that pattern that you're talking about? Yeah. So I think of Virgin Atlantic. Um, so the work by Lucky Generals is brilliant because mm. it doesn't look like any other airline ad, but you're very clear that it's mm. for an airline. And more importantly, you're very clear that it's for Virgin Atlantic. And that, I think, is the rub and the way you do it. The other one recently that I've been really impressed by is uh, Fiat, <laughs> where they basically uh, dunk the CMO of Stellantis in a Fiat into a giant can of paint to say that Fiat's going to, it's Operation No Grey. They're going to not make grey cars anymore, even though they are their top selling line. They're kind of harking back to the mm. brand's kind of Italianness, and the tone of voice is very authentic to, to Fiat. And I think that was a lovely piece of work as well. What do you think, just like mechanically speaking, Samira, what is it about that Fiat ad? Why does that break category convention? If you could just walk through a little bit more of the detail as, you know, what in your view, I don't know how um, deep or sort of how, how much you've studied that ad um, and let me know if not, but, you know, it would be interesting for me to just hear like what about that is non-conformist? Because um, in my mind, I guess, you know, there's always been car ads which are sort of potentially, I don't know, um, creative or um, interesting. What, what about that did you feel was sort of, breaking convention? Well, actually, I would argue that the car ad, the automotive advertising category is full of category cliches. You often see winding roads, beautiful people, hair flying, lend up somewhere aspirational, they're going to go surfing after. And it's a way of indicating right. the functional benefits of the car. And there's a lot of category advertising that falls in that space. So it's nice mm. to see that things have been taking a different perspective. I think that's what's broken category conventions. And there are hundreds of categories, by the way, that have their category cliches. But I think the thing that Virgin and Fiat have done really well is is basically just basic best-in-class ad strategy. So it's about knowing your brand <laughs> inside and out, mm. knowing what your campaign platform is, knowing your target audience. And once you have all of those tools and knowing the category as well and what the codes are, and once you have all of those tools in your toolbox, then you can be an artist and, you know, play with it and, mm. and sketch and draw and like, you know, and, and that's where the craft comes in to make it something that, 
people really kind of relate to and will, will remember. So it's it's kind of the two sides of the coin around strategy and uh, and craft coming together. But that strategy piece and yeah. like knowing your brand, I think, is is one of the most fundamental things. I think you're right when you spoke about winding roads and, you know, the families going to the beach. I, I, yeah, you're right. I mean, those cliches are instantly shall sort of play, top of Shall mind. we play a yeah. game, James? Shall we play the category cliche yes. game? would love Okay, to. all right. Okay, I'll go first. So a large group of women laughing and smiling and riding bikes, going out on a night out and everybody's in white trousers. Uh, what do you call them? Uh, pads. Yes. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, that's... Um, <laughs> That's fine. Okay, I'm I'm going to go elderly person being helped across the street by a younger citizen. Oh my goodness. Maybe that's not such a cliche. No, maybe not. I don't okay, elderly person being helped across the street. Pass. I don't know. This is this is Oh, I, I was thinking private health insurance. Oh, oh my god, you're so right. Okay, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I want to move the discussion, Samiri, into like this idea of defining creativity, because I've read before that you said that, you know, the the industry lacks a shared language around creativity. Like it's a thing that everyone says, and I have probably said it 10 times today in meetings, but what does it actually mean? So what's your view on how the advertising industry could move towards a more shared or common sort of language around creativity? And why is it a problem that there isn't one? Well, okay, let's, in terms of scale of problems, it's probably uh, not on the same scale as climate change. But we're having a discussion about creativity and advertising, (laughs) okay? So it makes it a bit hard to kind of have that discussion and and by by extension effectiveness if we can't agree on what we actually mean by creativity and advertising. And when you look around at the marketing effectiveness kind of Think space, there's a lot of definitions and it's very kind of driven by, you know, the thought leaders, by the agency experts and by brands. But I think what we felt was a little bit and and it varies. Right. So I think I touched on this a little bit. It varies from being sort of chaos and breaking and subversive to sort of the more gentle taste and balance and sincerity and selling. Mm. So there's, there's a lot of like terminology around there. And the voice that we felt at Epsos was slightly missing was the voice of the people basically whose uh, job the advertising is actually tasked to influence. And that's just regular people. So we asked them (laughs) Uh, 20,000 odd people in eight countries about, you know, what comes to mind when they think about creativity and advertising. And, and we looked at, you know, we did a text analysis of all of the words that they surfaced up and they grouped into a few large clusters. Basically, they talked about freshness mm. or originality, but that was connected to experiences like entertainment and fun and joy and happiness or just being very interesting to them. And there was an appreciation of a production quality as well. So the craft side of things. So it's if we kind of define it as a sort of paraphrasing the words of regular people, you know, they've kind of told us that it's a fresh or original experience or a different experience that delivers value to them. And that value can come in the form of the fun or the entertainment. Basically, you're creating a sense of value exchange. Basically, you're being you're being charming, witty, humorous, using all the tools in your toolbox to to thank them for their, frankly, for their attention. I had Orlando Wood on the show a few weeks ago and he, you know, we talked about sort of the crisis of creativity and that effectiveness has been going down for a long time and, you know, his whole thesis about the sort of left brain Mm. thinking that has sort of overtaken 
uh, not only advertising but society at large. And I do, you know, small plug, go and listen to that episode because we went in depth. Are these concepts related that like because we can't define creativity, it's hard to be creative? Or do you see any link between this sort of lack of shared understanding and common language and then maybe the the cliches and the, the conformity that we see? I think they are connected. I mean, everything in business has an underlying issue. We know about short-termism. We know about, you know, quarterly reporting mm. and therefore, you mm. know, kind of the, the pressure that that puts on the individuals in, in brands and businesses and uh, companies to kind of demonstrate worth. And it's very difficult sometimes to make a case to go, okay, six years down the line, you're going to see an amazing benefit. You're going to be the you know, mm. leading brand in the category and, um, you know, you're going to be incredibly memorable. It's a hard sell and it, you know, and I can, it goes back to the point I made about risk aversion and, you know, how we're naturally hardwired to do that. So I think that is a fundamental point in our, uh, there's a fundamental case about our kind of evolutionary trace, I guess, but also the way mm. business is therefore set up. But I, I think to, to, to offer the good life, I guess, on that point is that the reason that evolutionary trace exists is because we minimize risk, but we are also quite a collective species, you know, and mm. the cases where you see great examples is where people have the, the ability to kind of rally the collective presenting to the business a platform of this is what good will look like and and is able to sell that in so that's really interesting something that sort of um i'm thinking about as we go through this conversation is like there's cliches and conformity and then stereotypes i know you've written a lot about stereotypes in particular i know you've also uh, recently published a piece on gender stereotypes in advertising you wrote in one of your pieces recently it's sort of unstereotyping i think you called it as a as an approach that brands could take. Talk, talk a little bit about how stereotypes play into this and, and you know, what opportunities are there for, for brands. Yeah, sure. I'd be happy to. But if you if you wouldn't mind indulging me for a minute, because I think like everything is connected, right? So I just want to talk a little bit about the Misfits research that we did first, because mm. it's really important and and it, it is connected to this and it's connected to nonconformity. What we've seen is that when we look at advertising responses from regular people, again, very bottom up, let's just do it from uh, people's perspective based on how they have how they have parsed ads. Right. It's not a brand saying something mm. is emotional. It's the person saying, yes, that provoked an emotional response to me. And so so when we look at the different types of advertising experiences, what we found is that. There is creativity, so like creativity that relates to the experience of the ad. So that's you know it's surprising, mm. it's entertaining. There's creativity that is slightly more rooted in the in the brand side of things. So that's more about you know showing things a bit differently, brand reappraisal, news, and there's this bit in mm. the middle that is has really got nothing to do with the creative side. It's more about reflecting people in their real lives, and it's more about kind of fit with the brand, and it's more about empathy. So let's call it empathy and fitting in. And we then looked at how these advertising experiences relate to effectiveness and effectiveness uh, based on the creative effect index in our pretesting, which, by the way, is validated to short term sales using market mix modeling. So a really kind of mm. robust measure. Um, and it's 
done with generalizable cases, not awards cases, and it mm. covers a broad church of categories. And that's very important, right? Because you want to see if it if it works across a, a, a bunch of different categories as well. And pretty much th mm. the evidence was very interesting because it basically told us that creativity or empathy by themselves, advertising that does well on that tends to regress to the mean. But it's when you blend that creativity and empathy together, you get a 20% uplift in terms of being in the highest position on the creative effect index. So it drives 20% more effectiveness if you can actually get that happy marriage of uh, creativity and empathy. So let's just call it the fresh and familiar. It's very, very satisfying because I know you had Andy Nairn on the show last and he mm. talked about stand-up comics. And basically this is yes. sort of the evidence around that because they have a gift of finding the extraordinary in the ordinary. So again, it's not about being loud. Now, why am I talking about this? I'm talking about this because it's been a pretty consistent theme. Empathy and fitting in has been a pretty consistent theme throughout all of the work that we've done. And, you know, you'd, you'd think that empathy and fitting in is at odds with breaking category convention, but it's right. not. <laughs> It's it's really not because you can do both of those things and breaking category conventions can be done with the creativity part and the empathy part is about kind of reflecting the brand and reflecting people. And and how this relates to unstereotyping is that empathy, respectful portrayal and a healthy dose of creativity are not mutually exclusive and there is a lot of headroom for brands to show a slightly different world than they currently do. Yeah, that, that's really interesting. Uh, thank you for taking us back a couple of steps before we got there. So there's something in that empathy piece that I just want to sort of like double click on. So like, how do you define empathy in that, uh, in this context? Is it sort of just, you know, saying, I see you to a, a consumer or a customer? Is it sort of reflecting themselves back? I just want to stress that it's kind of empathy and fitting in. And this goes back to where do you right. find your insight from? Okay, so insights for advertising can come mm. from everywhere. It could be a product insight. It could be a human, broad human truth about, I don't know, parenting, mm. life, football. It can be a mm. shopper insight. I mean, think about Old Spice. That was basically a shopper insight about, oh, guess what? It's the women that buy the body wash for men. So let's make an ad for, for women and let's make it really oh, funny and give them a bloody good show. So the thing is, hmm. I think it's about empathy and fitting in. So it's not always 100% about reflecting exactly the audience that you're that you're, you're, you've built against, although that is helpful. Uh, but it can also mm. be about fitting with what you already know about the brand's world. So fit with the brand is mm. also part of that fitting in piece. And, and doing it in a credible way, believability is the third kind of advertising experience within the empathy piece. So that there's, it's not that you have to do all three, but if you, you know, at least, at least if you get one of those things right. So coming back to Virgin Atlantic, the advertising they mm. make is unmistakably Virgin Atlantic because mm. they do that that empathy fitting in piece very, very well. It fits with the brand, but you still manage to show people a different take on the brand world. I guess Apple is another example of that sort of um, that sort of brand. I just want to also say, yes, we had Andy Nan on the show a few weeks ago who was involved in a bunch of that uh, Virgin Atlantic work. And uh, yeah, listen to that episode if you want to go deeper there. So on this empathy piece, where, if at all, does challenging the audience come in? Is that sort of... Is it possible to be both empathetic and challenging? Have you seen that work? Have you seen it not work? I'm sort of curious as to this idea of 
where that can come in, if at all, in advertising, where it's not necessarily about empathizing and fitting in with the audience, but potentially challenging or pushing back or going in another direction. So I think of advertising like a mirror, right? You can point it backwards and show a world that existed. Uh, And let's face it, if you do that, you're probably harming somebody because, you know, there's uh, stereotypes and systemic biases exist and they're upheld Mm. by very rigid structures because nobody in power wants to see it okay you can you can either point mm-hmm. it to the present and kind of reflect the world as it is today or you can look to the future there's there's lots of different options mm-hmm. and ways to do it so you know it it really depends on 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 what you want to do with it if you want to do the the creativity and empathy piece it's really again just it's very simple it's about doing a a fresh twist on what people are already familiar with. Okay, so let me take an example, sustainability category. I think Mm. Volvo, again, one of my favorite ads of all time, I think uh, Volvo's ultimate safety test. So a man starts at the Volvo factory. He says, hi, I'm Bjorn, and I'm going to show you, uh, you know, how we treat safety at Volvo. He goes through a series of different safety tests that Volvo performs. So first with the crash test dummies, then it's like, and now the off-road test. And, you know, car goes swooping over a huge bump turns over turns turtle uh, mm. and the final the final test is a hundred foot drop and oh. so the, the the tests just get more ludicrously hard uh, okay so the so we're standing sort of at, at this glacial landscape with this car h- hiked to a crane about to fall to the earth plummet from a hundred feet and then you go, is this the ultimate safety test? And then suddenly there's like a noise and he turns around and there's this iceberg just crumbling behind him. And the super <laughs> comes up to say, climate change is the ultimate safety test. That's why starting today, all our cars are going mm. to be electric. It sends shivers up my spine even describing mm. it. And you should mm. see the facial coding trace on our testing. It's, it, it looks like a, a, a journey and then there's this huge shock surprise big ending but that is a brilliant mm. example of sort of creativity and empathy they've they've told a a really unusual story in the sustainability category with a mm. lot of empathy but also you know it's an extension of volvo's existing brand platform you've basically just translated safety of drivers to safety of the entire planet um so yes very, yes and and they didn't show a windmill not once. a windmill in sight <laughs> yes <laughs> Yeah, I think that's like a great summary in a way of this of, of this entire discussion is like how to sort of use creativity as a way to sort of break those conventions, but still keeping in line with the yeah. brand. I think that's... We, ha- we have a framework that we talk to our clients about when it comes to, um, you know, any sort of ESG angle, but really it's pretty applicable to most. So be true to the... This is particularly mm. important for the ESG angle. So, you know, be true to the facts. So you do need a foundation of action. Otherwise you're just coloring in and that never works. People will see through it. Uh, So Mm. be true to the facts, be true to the people. So that's down to sort of being really honest, very, very transparent progress, not perfection. People can get on board with Mm. that. It's okay. But also take them on the journey, entertain them and, and, you know, make them surprised, make them shocked. And Mm. then finally, and most importantly, be true to the brand. And those are the three principles mm. if you want to make a really strong ESG ad. 
Samira, I could sit here and chat to you all day about this, but I know you're busy. So I want to move on to the quick fire round okay. uh, and ask you what your favorite marketing campaign of all time is. So you know how lots of brands and ad agencies, well, the original one was probably Leo Burnett's, but you know how you have this creative scale and the top end of that Leo Burnett's creative scale was, so it kind of goes like, you know, advertising that changes how you feel, changes how you think mm. and, and, and changes the world. Uh, my favorite marketing effort of all time, I think, is the adoption of the Montreal Protocol in 1987. It still blows my mind that the entire world somehow came together to eliminate chlorofluorocarbons from the production, <laughs> from production lines and refrigeration. I mean, and if you think of the divided times we're in now, that, like, thinking back on it gives me a lot of hope. I mean, the ozone, you're in Australia, James, so this affects yeah, you. Yeah. The ozone layer is actually re repairing itself because 30 years ago, you know, a group of people were clever enough to think about all of the angles from lobbying, influencing policy, but also to kind of tap in and find the empathy and the thing that people really cared about or were able to kind of connect with in that debate. It's like, I don't understand the science, but I understand that my deodorant mm. has an impact. So breaking it down mm. uh, and, and kind of, it was a massive effort and it, it really is is a marvelous piece of, I, I'd say, marketing and, and actual marketing mm. that changed the world. Uh, but more recently, mm, maybe great. liquid death. <laughs> Yes, liquid death is a a favorite of mine, and that it's not the first time that's yeah. come up. So, what about the best? And I say best in in sort of air quotes because I, you know, I guess maybe it's your favorite. But what who, you know, what's the best brand in the world right now? Who's doing the best brand marketing and advertising mm. work? So, well, I don't know. This is a bit of a shape shifting category, right? Because and so, so I'm just going to speak about a brand that's fairly personal to me. I really love who gives a crap toilet paper. <laughs> yeah. Well, I like them because I I like recommending to recommending them to people because it makes me feel good. Everything that they're doing mm. is just it's just very sensible. Sort of using fast growing bamboo. Yep. Everything's wrapped in paper. It arrives in bulk. Fifty percent of profits go to sanitation projects, and I like hearing from them because they're really funny and they entertain me. And I have not made any compromise on the product quality, so all of that is a co benefit. And I like talking about them because I, f I think they're misfits and they don't conform to the category convention of fluffy animals, the strength or softness or any of that Clouds, stuff. yeah. So, yeah, and I just like buying them because they look so pretty in my loo. So, yeah, bring me a lot of yeah. personal well, and professional yeah. joy, James. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally agree. I think sort of, you know, brilliant brand. It's funny, like going through this conversation, now I can't stop thinking about this idea of like category cliches and convention. And yeah, they, they, there's no fluffy clouds and rabbits and, you know, uh, so I think from in that perspective, you know, that's a huge tick um, and obviously, you know, brilliant company with a brilliant mission. All right. So what's the most overrated trend in marketing right now? What are you sick to death? God, of? I really had to think so hard about this question. Um, really? Okay. One of my bugbears, I think, over the years has been uh, personalization. Because the thing is, I think there are many rabbit holes hmm. you can go down, right from sort of, you know, over-focusing over on generations and the difference between generations to, you know, should I mm. reflect back the exact person that I'm trying to sell to? So I think the over-reliance of personalization, mainly because I've seen in client organizations that it creates a lot of content. And just because you can create a lot of content doesn't mean you should. Uh, and it's a time mm. suck on uh, resource and um, 
and and their time as well. And I haven't always seen the sort of, I guess, effectiveness benefits of it. Sometimes it works, but it's it's it works when a, when you've done it thoughtfully. You know, you've got a, a really you're better off spending your time making a bloody brilliant campaign that people really value right. and enjoy. You've entertained them, you've delighted them, and you've sent them somewhere. And that wherever mm-hmm. you've sent them, that landing page is beautifully structured. That kind of caters very simply. You've reduced the friction to all of their consumer journeys, and you've mm-hmm. got some robust hopefully consumer path to purchase research that sits behind all of that. Um, and you've kind of wireframed yourself for success. So, so yes, mm. hyper, hyper reliance on personalization. Yeah. Personalization feels like one of those sort of, you know, the, the classic Gartner hype cycle thing, you know, it's sort of for a while there, it was the only thing people were talking about. I guess now it's AI. Yep. What's uh, you know, the opposite, what's the most underrated trend in marketing right now? What, what aren't we talking about that we should be? A bloody good jingle. <laughs> Yes. A really, a really, yeah, I'm here for a that. really good jingle. I mean, I can sing you songs from, like, I grew up in India and I can still sing you the song for washing powder, Nirma. Uh, now, uh, it's just stuck in my head. I even, I, I think I can yep. even sing a song for, like, Big on Roach Spray. So those are, like, such yep. sticky brand building tactics. And in fact, uh, my colleague Adam Sheridan has done this brilliant paper called A Power of You. And we've actually, because we metatag all the creative that we test, obviously, we've done this mm. amazing analysis on distinctive assets. And, and it shows that sonic brand cues are eight and a half times more likely to drive high attention, but they're very underused. So not a lot of ads have them. And just to put that in context, wow. brand characters, which are the next sort of most effective um, device, are six times more likely to drive attention. So there's a lot of there's a lot of untapped potential, I think, in a really good jingle. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So, you know, sort of I just moved back to Australia after many, many years away, actually in Sweden. And it was funny because one of the first days I got in the car and I turned the radio on, there was a, you know, a couple of radio ads where jingles are of course a little bit more common still. But, you know, many of them hadn't changed in twenty years. And I instantly, you know, connected with me and I'm like you, I can recite <laughs> many a jingle from 90s Australian TV ads. And it's funny you say that about characters as well because characters and jingles both feel like these quite outdated sort of daggy tactics, which which makes no sense. I had Jamie Pete of McCann on who has done a lot of work with Aldi and, of course, their character, Kevin, the carrot. Um, and so I'm also utterly convinced that, yeah, it's sort of do away with jingles and characters <laughs> at your peril. Samira, who should I have on the show next? So, well, Adam Adam is a great person to have on the show. So I think I've like borrowed a lot of his thinking today. So Adam Sheridan is definitely a recommendation. Mm. But the other other two, and I would suggest like a tag team. So Hazel Freeman from Ipsos, but Lee Rolston from JKR as well. They have done an amazing piece of work on distinctiveness. It's called Be Distinctive Everywhere. Uh, it's a really excellent paper. It basically looks at the evidence from over 5,000 different brand assets, um, you hmm. know, 33 categories. And it looks at sort of the place that you can make to kind of develop gold standard distinctive assets. Um, so, you know, we talked about music and characters and all of that. But this paper goes into quite a lot of depth. So you've got the evidence from Ipsos, but also the the just the, the professional expertise from JKR, who are uh, an, a, a, a brilliant like leader in the branding space. So Hazel and Lee probably. Brilliant tips. Samira, thank you so much for being on the show today. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you, James. Thanks for listening to the On The Moment podcast. 
If you liked this episode, make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss upcoming episodes. And to suggest a guest or provide feedback, please visit our dedicated podcast hub at ownthemomentpod.com. 